0: Our scripture text for this morning comes from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And since it is a rather long text this morning, Brian and I will actually be reading it together. So let us listen to God's word to us.
1: After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him,
0: Abraham.
1: And Abraham said,
0: Here I am.
1: God said,
0: Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you.
1: So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out, and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men,
0: Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you.
1: Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father? And Abraham said,
0: Here I am, son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering?
1: Abraham replied,
0: God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son.
1: So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said,
0: Abraham, Abraham.
1: And Abraham said,
0: Here I am.
1: The angel said,
0: Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son. From me.
1: And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place.
0: The Lord will provide.
1: So it is said to this day.
0: On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord for us, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, to the region of Moriah. You know, children are wonderful, especially from my perspective. I get to hang out with your kids at games and practices and here at church. I could even babysit, but then I hand them back. Children are wonderful, but they're also quite the sacrifice There's a story about a man and his family who were ministers in China. He was placed under house arrest in China for preaching the gospel. And the soldiers came one day and said, you can return to America. They were celebrating, and the soldiers stopped them and said, but you can only take 200 pounds with you. Well, they'd been in China for years, for years, 200 pounds. So they got the scales and they started the family arguments. There were two children, a wife and a husband. I must have this vase. Well, this is a new typewriter. What about my books? What about this? And they weighed everything and took it off and weighed this and took it off and weighed this and finally, right on the dot, 200 pounds. The soldier asked, ready to go? Yes. Did you weigh everything? Yes. You weighed the kids? No, we didn't weigh the kids. And in a moment, typewriter and vase and everything else became trash. Trash. It happens. I think this is how parents love their children. They sacrifice everything for them. I remember I was recently talking to my parents. They have four kids. We are all grown up and out of the house. We were talking about nothing really, how's life, how's work. And mom goes, I've gotta go make dinner. Oh really, what are you making? Steak. Steak? Yeah, last night was salmon, tonight is steak. And I looked at her and I said, where was this when we lived in the house? Steak and salmon every night for dinner? We only had those for birthdays, for special occasions. There was no regular old Tuesday night steak dinner dad just chuckled as I started to get frustrated with him. And he looked at me and he said, listen, when you four were in the house, your mother and I would wait until you all got what you wanted and we would eat what was left. The last pork chop, the smallest piece of chicken, no dessert because you guys had eaten it all. You guys came first. So, When Abraham is asked to take his son whom he loves, this is the kind of love we are talking about. This is the son that Abraham loves, truly, deeply loves. Takes the place of the typewriter and vase kind of love. Gets the first pork chop and the last piece of cake kind of love. Abraham and Sarah sacrificed a lot for their son. It started with Sarah not being able to get pregnant, Abraham thinking he would never have a son, then getting pregnant when they were far too old to be thinking about children, and then you start when Isaac is born with the sleepless nights, deciding how to parent, pencil marks on the wall, everything nice in our home has been broken because you guys throw balls around in the living room, The expenses of the child, food, shelter, games, all of it. After all the sacrifices Abraham makes for his son, then God asks him to sacrifice one more thing, Isaac himself. To be really honest with you, this text presents a really tricky dilemma from the preaching perspective. It is my job, week to week, to figure out how this biblical text is God's word to all of us. So what in the world is God telling us through this text? As far as I can tell in the Bible, Abraham's a pretty popular guy. It is, after all, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In that list, Abraham gets top billing. He's the model of faith in the New Testament. But today, in today's world, we would throw a father in jail for attempting to do what Abraham did to his own son. He walked him up a mountain, tied him up, and got ready to sacrifice him. What kind of a God would ask a father to sacrifice his only son? The answer, of course, is the same God, the Father, who would sacrifice his only son. Which, if we're honest, is a really hard thing to admit. It's hard because I feel outraged when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his only son. And yet, somehow, I'm more okay with the heartbreak that God went through to send his only son for the forgiveness of my sins. So what about this text? What is it about? Maybe it's about the fact that God provides. You can't always expect God to give back what you give to him. What you can expect is that God will provide. Provide what? Not really clear. Provide what you want? Possibly not. But the Lord will provide. I think it's certainly true that the Lord does provide, and it sure sounds really spiritual. What do we do with this advice? As far as I can tell in the text, Abraham states to his son, the Lord will provide. And then he binds him. He builds an altar. He puts the wood on it and lays his son on top. Abraham claims the Lord will provide. But this isn't Abraham and Isaac sharing a devotional about God providing while they wait for a lamb to scurry along. No. Abraham was actually going to kill Isaac. Why? Why the sacrifice of the son whom he deeply loves? I think it's because of trust. Trust may be one of the hardest lessons to learn and relearn and relearn because trust is shaky. You're going along just fine, trusting those around you, then they do something. They hurt you or someone else. You say you still trust them, but in your head, you question all they do. You double-check their work. You even expect them to fail. Often, we trust ourselves, and the list ends there. Why did you take the whole project on by yourself? You could have asked for help. Well, I didn't want to delegate it because I just don't trust them with it. I know I'll do a better job with it. Right? We trust ourselves. And the list ends there. But Abraham, Abraham trusted God when he and Sarah left home and began a journey not knowing where they were going. Abraham sacrificed his past and all of his dreams, and now God is asking him to sacrifice his future, his son, Isaac, that's trust. That is a totally different level of trust. But you know, we all trust and hope in something. If you're a parent, you trust in your love and discipline of your children and you hope they grow in faith. If you're a student, you trust in your ability to work hard and get good grades and hope it'll pay off with a good job or a college education in the future. If you're in business, you trust the goal of your business and those that work for you and you hope for success. If you're single, you trust that God has a plan for you and you hope for meaningful relationships. If you're a preacher, well, you trust and hope that you can make sense of ancient biblical texts. Trust, trust plays out in really messy ways in our lives. After all, it is Abraham's trusting that leads him to an altar where his son is the sacrifice. Our trusting often leads us to turning blind eyes when someone we love has done something wrong and we can't bear to admit it. We ignore the signs, we reject other people's advice. Because my situation is different. They would never do that. How many times do we say that phrase? They would never do that. That would never happen to me. Ignore what's right in front of us because we want to hold on to trusting the people that are close. Knowing who to trust can lead to all sorts of drama. Abusing someone's trust gets us in messy situations. You can lose someone's trust in a second and work a lifetime to regain it. Issues of trust enter our families and enter our church and cause all sorts of drama. Drama because trusting others means letting go of control means letting go of our plans, our desires, our notions of what is right and good, and let's just be real, we hate that. Trust plays out in our lives in really messy ways, but trust is also the thing that keeps us going. We trust in something or someone. We count on someone to make our days bright, to make it worth it, to make them good. And whatever it is, that thing that you're counting on, that is your Isaac. That is your blessing from God given to you to make you a blessing to others. When things fall apart, we cling to the blessings, whatever it may be, success, education, family, health, or love. We all have something, some Isaac, and when life gets us down, when days are hard, we lean on our blessings. But what will you do on the day that God asks for his blessing back? cannot let go of it, then God is not your God, then the blessing is your God. Maybe you say, no, no, I don't rely on my blessings, I do rely on God. But what do we mean by that? Often we mean that we rely on God's promises. So what if the blessings you rely on are promises from God? He promises to make all things new, to be a shelter in times of trouble. I will send you out to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives. God will never leave you nor forsake you. God is our refuge and strong tower. These are just some of God's promises, just a few. These promises are sure. Sometimes they're incredibly frustrating because God's timeline isn't the same as our own. And the way God goes about enacting his promises don't line up with our own opinions on the matter. No, no, I rely on God. But what if what we really mean is that we rely on God's promises? If you cannot let go of the promises, then God is not your God. The promises are. God promised Abraham a son promise was sure he got the son whom he loved. Then God asked for the blessing back. Funny thing is, we don't decide the timeline of God's promises. Sooner or later, we all stand beside Abraham with our most cherished blessing on the altar. It is then that we have to respond to the hardest question the soul will ever face. Do you still want God if there are no blessings attached? Do you still want God if it is now God plus nothing? It is only then that you truly know if you have been worshipping God or worshipping God's blessings. The Apostle Paul explains in the book of Romans that Abraham had learned to hope against hope. To hope against hope. It means we have one great hope that stands against all other blessings. We have one God and many blessings. You can count on your blessings most of the time, but you dare not make them the one great hope. When one spouse lays another in the grave. When you drive home on the day you've just lost your job, when the marriage has failed in spite of all your best efforts, when the thing you were praying not to happen has happened, it is then that you have to hope against hope. When your child gets sick and you look on helplessly because there isn't a thing you can do, it is then that you have to hope against hope. When the money coming in isn't enough to support the family you have and the new job prospects are none, when the loneliness of depression is too great to bear, when the illness that plagues your body wakes up with you every morning and goes to bed with you every night, it is then that you have to hope against hope. You hope against all your blessings that are now lost. You hope against your ability to understand you hope against even your understanding of God and his promises. Then all that is left to hope is in God alone. Sometimes, that's all there is. But the proclamation of Abraham is that that is all there needs to be. Take your son whom you love. Whatever blessings you count on, your children, your spouse, your parents, your job, your savings account, your health, your education, sooner or later God will ask you for your most cherished blessing. He will ask you to take that blessing and to lay it on the altar. If we don't give our kids, our spouses, our families to God, guys, that's the ball game. If we continue to protect our families from God instead of giving them to God, then it is our families that we worship. Every day we have to remember that we hand over those we love. We hand them over because they aren't ours. They don't belong to us. They are blessings from God. Every day we give our families over to God, and every day we wait and hope that God will give them back. No, in the end, God didn't allow Abraham to kill Isaac. In the end, the cliche is true. God did indeed provide, but not until Abraham had already given up Isaac. It was only after Abraham gave up Isaac that he could really enjoy his son because he was no longer afraid of losing him already given him back to God you can only enjoy a blessing if you don't have to keep it Abraham along the way had learned too much about himself to trust himself the fool the coward the sinner with the thing he loved his son he loved for something that special he would only could only trust the God who had saved him time and time again Do you still want God if there are no blessings attached? Do you still want God if it is now God plus nothing? Because if we're honest, all that's left is to hope in God alone. Sometimes... That's all there is. Let us pray. Lord, we see the ways that you are asking us to sacrifice those things that we love, the things that we count on. But Lord, the beauty of it all is that we see how much you love us more than we love ourselves. You love our children and our spouses, our parents, our siblings, our parents, more than we could ever love them. Lord, we ask for the courage to sacrifice those things that we hold on to. We ask that you give us the boldness and the courage to hand them back over, to give them to you, and to trust that you are the only one we need to hope in. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.